We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a season. That's right. It's time to hand out awards to the Arsenal players and coaches you love and those you love even less. Award season has come and the first award for the most premature podcast is this is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We're doing a season review pod before the season is over. We are premature. I can tell you I have no prior experience with what that is like, but here we are. We are premature. It is a season review podcast. Tim will be along down the road. We've saved the best for last. Unfortunately, Clive and Paul are here, so we're going to introduce them. We're going to get on with it. We're going to give out awards like best game, best goal, worst game, best player, most improved, worst player, most disappointing, and Emery's grade for the season. All that and more on this edition of the Postmatch Podcast. Okay, Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I'm juiced. I am pumped about this podcast. This is a fun podcast for me. I like it because I save all my energy up, and then when we get to worst player and most disappointing player, I really rip into them. God, that gives me the that gives me the good stuff. Um, we're gonna have fun though. And uh, quick housekeeping: we released another best of episode. It is award season, so over on the Patreon feed, best of the Emirates era. Two episodes, a two-parter, over two hours of reliving the best and worst of the Emirates era. If you'd like to join the Patreon, we'll also have a mailbag this week. We're also going to do a Patreon episode of your choices of the best of the Emirates era, where uh, we give you a link, you can click on it, you can record up to two minutes of your thoughts for a category, and we're going to compile those into an episode. So if all that sounds interesting to you, plus the Discord chat, join us, sign up. We're going to do lots of fun stuff there all summer. If it doesn't sound interesting to you, or is not within your means, or you don't want to spend the money, by the way, 
totally cool. We're going to do lots of good free stuff all summer on transfers, on squad building. Clyde's got a whole repository of concepts in his head that we're just going to crack his head open and let them spill out into a microphone, which is going to be gruesome, but I, I imagine it'll be fine because everything he does in front of a microphone is uh, both intelligent, informative, and sexy. So anyway, enough of the housekeeping. Let's get on with it, and we will start with Clive because I built him up. Uh, Clive, oh, no. what is your best game of the 2018-19 season, and don't say the Europa League final, because you're not that funny. The best game? Okay, well, that's that's easy. The best game was the 4-2 Spurs game. It better be, because you actually picked it as the best game of the Emirates era. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, uh, yeah I'm, I, had a bit of, I had a bit of deja vu. I'm drinking red wine. I'm wondering, well, is he asked me this one again? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah, so basically, yeah, the 4-2, for reasons previously explained. I mean, my goodness, what a unifying day that was, right? So um, the quality of goals, everything about it, the Eric Dyer explosion, the Eric Dyer goal followed by the Eric Dyer deflection and just being ran about to death in the second half and having to get his inhaler out because he couldn't keep up with Aubameyang and Ramsey and Lacazette. Those sort of things stay with you, right? And um, so, yeah, I loved that game a lot. And I think from, you know, from somebody who goes to the Emirates sort of eight to ten times a season. That game looked like one that you would pay any amount of money to be at. It just looked like it was brilliant, and that's why it's my favorite. Yeah, I I think it's a very good shout and a very hard one to argue with, but, Paul, I'm going to force you to argue with it. What's your best game of the 2018-19 season? And don't say the Europa League final, because while you are funny, uh, it's not funny, because we already did that bit. I had a 45-minute argument with somebody during the week about whether I was funny or not. So apparently, it's uh, there's a there's I find another you tolerably, school of thought out there. Tolerably funny at times. You know what? I find you funny when it's spontaneous. <laughs> when you set up a bit and we come back from a break and you're like, "I'm going to do the bit now," the, the bit is never funny. But that's okay. Spontaneity is good. So be spontaneous. The problem is, I find those unfunny bits with, as the man pointed out, the pregnant pauses. Entirely hilarious. So that's that's your problem there. All speaking right. Of, so speaking of pregnancy, the enclosed lingerie yeah. works for that. By the way, I should just yeah. point out. Anyway, go for yeah. it. Yeah, sponsored your kid. Um, so look, I actually think I'm going to top uh, Clive on this one by some margin of measure, and I think people will agree with this on the best game or anybody else's selection. It's Valencia home and away, which I know is a a combined tie, and if you had to. Uh, Usually it's Clive to- who has to be disciplined for not following the rules, so I like yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you push me, right, it's the Valencia away game because it was all in the balance. It was at their home. and <clears throat> But, I mean, you got to take those games as, as a bookends to a, a tie. And, you know, we, we go down a goal in the first first match within 10 minutes at home. And, like, we all shit ourselves. And we scored three good goals and then we go away to Valencia and it's a it's a a performance de resistance I don't know if that's a thing um and you know we look back on it and we think it was a bit of a cakewalk similarly with Napoli and yes they were they were very good teams not great teams but we handily took care of them uh in our manager's most uh, preferred competition the one he, he personally feels most comfortable in at this point and uh, you you can do nothing but give them 10 out of 10 for the Napoli and the Valencia ties culminating in that Valencia game that has a setup for our best game of the season in a couple in a week and a half 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good shout as well. Um, I think, so obviously I have to pick one, and I've got to pick one that hasn't been picked. And, yeah. uh, you know, that because that's how we do this. I think I will go ahead and pick the, oh, it's a tough one. I, I'm going to say the win at home to Chelsea. Um, I thought we were just superior to them in all phases of play, and it came at a time when things were going pretty much in the wrong direction, starting to go sideways on the season. And I think what helped Emery a lot this season is that right at the point where things started to get low, we had a result that kind of turned the tide a little bit. And I think the the home win to Chelsea was one of those. I also am picking it, hoping it to be a harbinger of things to come, candidly. Uh, I, can't, I can't deny it. I think we've matched up well with them. And, you know, I, I thought it was a game where we played our football and we played it well, you know, whatever that means. So ultimately, I thought that was a really good game. You know, the one thing you have to say for the Emory era, whatever there is to say about the downside of it, there are a lot of big games you could choose. I thought the home draw to Liverpool was really encouraging, right? There are the, the victory over Spurs, the victory over Chelsea, the victory over United, the victories over Napoli and Valencia. There were big games that went well. And when you're trying to pick a best game of the season, your your thoughts immediately turn to the big games. I remember doing these podcasts after some of the Arsenal seasons and your best game would be like when we thumped you know a, a promoted team or something so you know this is better uh let's get to best goal paul I'll, I'll rotate it back over to you what was your best goal of the season well in the spirit of not being internally consistent i actually picked the best i think i picked the uh ozil uh goal against leicester for the best of the Emirates era. Which is patently ridiculous, the ra- but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, It was a ba- no, Yang anyway, wasn't it? Or was it or the Ozil one or the Bamiyang? Yeah, one? I picked the Ozil one. in okay. The one where he skips over the ball and picks it up in the box. and Yeah, and passes it to a Bamiyang. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ozil's goal that Aubameyang scored. Yeah, that one. I love <laughs> that goal too. Okay, so just pick your goal, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right inconsistent in my inconsistency I'm going with the Ramsey goal uh, beautifully against Fulham beautiful I mean we look on it yep. a, mm-hmm. yeah we look on it as a cakewalk again in hindsight but it was 2-1 at that time wasn't it this was the third goal they were they'd actually uh, pegged us back and blah 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 so here we were uh, suddenly we began to open a gap after that goal and uh, you know Ramsey's right at the heart of it that little that little flick over the, the his marker. There's a there's Bellerin's back heel to Ramsey who heads it. Uh, M- Mickey's uh, ruthless ball into the box that Aubameyang runs onto, and the a classic average Ramsey back heel flick into the the side netting. So bloody great goal, and, and seemed to be a harbinger of uh, Emery ball for the rest of the season. That was not exactly to be, but, <laughs> but a superb goal. it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. It was a fucking brilliant goal. Um, how yeah, about you, Clyde? Or, or as I call it, Aubameyang's goal. It, it was, yeah, the brilliant goal, Aubameyang goal that Ramsey scored. Yeah, Clive, do you have any favorite goal that someone else scored? <laughs> <laughs> I got loads. Uh, I did like the just Aubameyang. One? <laughs> oh, I got loads. Torreira's goal against Spurs, Aubameyang's goal against Valencia. How about, I, the, the word best is really specific yeah. and limiting in that it forces you to pick one that was the best. I've got to say, the Aubameyang goal against Spurs to make it 2-2. I just thought that was an amazing goal. You know, just the first time shot. I, I, I know I've said it before, but I don't care. Like That, to me, was a game that we were losing, was going away from us. One bit of play, 
bang, goal, heartbreaker. They mm. were dead. They were dead after that. A goal, you know, if ever a goal meant two goals, that was it. I think it just killed them. It just, it just made them feel like we can score whenever we like. And yeah. I think that's that's a great feeling, and uh, that's why it's my favorite. It was a really well taken goal at a really important time. So I think you've got all the all the qualifiers there. I think in the same vein, I have to take Lacazette's home to Liverpool, um, a game where we absolutely deserved something, and I think it would have been crushing for us to not get anything from that game. And it's such a good finish. Um, you know, he's way out on the left wing. He's got lots of players to curl it past. It's a good bit of play to build up and get him into that point, but it looks like the the moment has passed him by and just to have the confidence and peace of mind. And what I love about it, do you remember this, guys? He hits it, and I think he wheels away and starts celebrating before it's in the net. Um, just a great moment. And while a draw is... Probably, I mean, less than we deserved. We were on pace to get nothing in that game. So I thought that was a brilliant goal. Um, and we'll hear Tim's selection coming up again. Tim will be on a little bit later on. Okay, let's get to the, the parts of the podcast where I really think I come into the four and thrive. How about worst game? Clive, we'll start with you. What was the lowest moment, your worst game of the season? Uh, I got, I got, for me, Crystal Palace. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Crystal Palace. It always, all, and I know I can explain Crystal Palace, but I can't. But actually, I don't think they came to win. They just came to play and see how they got on, and they walked away with three points. And that can't happen. I don't care. Right? That can't happen. This is Arsenal Football Club. You can't, you know, walking into Southampton away, new manager. I get it. Wolves, Leicester, up and coming teams in the middle of a European run. I get it. Every time I thought they were lucky. Um, but Crystal Palace at home, come on, man. Do your job. And we didn't. And it's cost us yeah, significantly. Right? The selection was weird. We we thought we were better than we... We thought we could get away with it. Against a team that had really good away from, we didn't get away with it. And it started a run that destroyed us. Because you know what's funny about that game, Clive? Because mm. he gambled on that game with that lineup and got it wrong... I think then he tried to get too aggressive with the away games and got it wrong again. You know what I mean? So he wound up picking a team against Wolves that played into their strength because then he was like, well, shit, now I need three points in this game. And I, I just think he bounced from one result. The, the, the Palace result seemed like a domino that started the other dominoes falling. You disagree with that take, as I can tell from your having and lying no, in the background? I, I, I understand it. I just think it's all about trying to coexist with Europe. And I think he was saving legs for European games. And you could say it's worked, but at what cost? Right? And we haven't got the result yet in Europe. It's, it's not in the bank. If it gets in the bank, we have a great day on the 29th and a day we never forget. We can say, oh, that Emery's a smart guy, isn't he? The way he targeted this trophy. We needed this, blah, blah, blah. So, But I just feel you can't be losing at home to Crystal Palace. And let's be honest, right? Special circumstances. We had a certain player called Scotland Mustafi that decided to just have a meltdown in the game. And even with that team, there was no need for that to happen. So it was a individual nightmare and it just cost us so much. And, At a yeah, time when we were one. right there in, back in the game and, and looking poised to take it. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great shout. It was a miserable day all around. Not the only one though. So Paul, why don't you pick another miserable day? 
yeah, yeah, it's a perfect choice. Actually, I mean, <laughs> I think Crystal Palace, I wouldn't have done as good a job on it as Clive does because he, he's really poured himself into that Crystal Palace game, but it would have been my pick. Um, so looking for consequential games we screwed up, I'd probably go with the Everton game because we were just so poor, such a non-show. I think we, and it was a time at which everybody fancied us to get something out of that game. What was off the and, run where we'd won what we'd we'd beaten United away or something and, and yep, drew and drew beat, at Wembley yep. and should have won that. So we were like, we figured out a way. We figured it out. And then yeah. what do you know? We haven't figured it out. And we gave it back again. And we did we've done this throughout the season. We learned to play from the back and we give that back straight away. We learned to press up front and we decided we don't you know uh, we we learn to play as a team and then the next time you you're looking at the most average bunch of 11 players ever. And you're like, well, which is it? And the reality is it's both at the moment. Um, I think Everton was kind of, in some ways it was the start of the rot for the run in. I mean, you can pick multiple games, but at that stage, you know, our, our fate was definitely in our hands. All we had to do was string the results together. If, even if we didn't know the future. And that was true at the Crystal in the Crystal Palace game. That was probably the last time it was completely true. But actually, if we'd won or two other, won one or two other games after that, we still could have had our own fate. But Everton was where you saw against a team who played with some energy at home, uh, a lesser team where we didn't come to combat the energy like we said we did away at Spurs. We don't seem to have a solution for a high energy team, middle table. Uh, unless we treat it like an absolute freaking war and derby and we come at them. And uh, I think that's why we got beat at Everton. Their energy was higher than ours. Mm. And we just, we tried to manage that game and we got effectively stuffed. I mean, the scoreline didn't really do it justice, 1-0. Yeah, yep. No, it was, you know, for me, it's a terrible memory too because I was in New York. I got to go to the Blind Pig. I was with... uh, Arstamouse and Dave, uh, Tim from Arstamouse and Dave from the Arstamouse podcast, and we were together, and Matt Giant Gooner was there, and the, you know there were all so these you, people there. You probably loved that result, then, the three of you. That was oh, perfect. Well, yeah, it was on brand, but we didn't pod <laughs> after it. So <laughs> the funny thing is we had it in mind we were going to pod after the game, and it really was so fucking boring and miserable. We didn't bother. But, like, you know, you're there to have a drink, and you're with friends, and you're like, all right, I've made an occasion of this game, and everything in the Arsenal season's heading in the right direction. And it was not just a loss, but it was dull as shit. There was mm. just nothing to get your blood pumping. I'm going to so pick. So you like my pick then? I love your pick, but I'm going okay. to pick uh, recency bias. It's it's the Brighton game for me, because at the point that that game kicked off, the way everything was breaking for us around us, with all of our rivals for top four falling apart, including Spurs, I was like, I can't fucking believe this. We're getting a get out of jail free card, and we're going to fucking finish above Spurs. We're going to actually do it. We're going to finish in the top four, and we're going to finish above Spurs, and this is incredible. And we're going to go out, and we're going to paste Brighton, and somehow we're going to walk away from this season and say, how the hell did we do that? I was already trying to figure out which kind of anti-Emery tweets I was going to have to delete at full time and after, after the season ended. And alas, never came to be because... We did not beat Brighton at home, um, and it's everything on display, right? We get the early goal. We think it's going to be a stroll. We take our foot off the gas. We half-ass the game. There's a silly, stupid, sloppy pass from Mkhitaryan, a brain-dead piece of defending from Shaka, and next thing you know, we're trying to chase the game late and can't get it done, um, and we're lucky not to lose it all altogether. So for me, that was the lowest moment, so I will say it was the worst game, losing to a team with nothing to play for at home with everything on the line. But let's get upbeat again. Let's turn it around. Let's turn that frown upside down 
as they say, uh, in places where people get their asses kicked, and uh, go with best player. So I'm going to start, since I haven't had the chance to start and I want to get mine off the board before anyone p- picks it, I'm going with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You know, are you? our I leading really scorer. Shocked. I know it's shocking <laughs> that the guy who scored 31 goals and tied for the Golden Boot in the Premier League is my player of the season. He will be remembered for big misses. But scoring goals is hard, and he scores a lot of them. And he is, in terms of XG per 90, the expected goals per 90, he's one of, I think, the top five players in all of Europe, number one in the Premier League, ahead of every player who played any real minutes, ahead of Sergio Aguero. Um... He missed some big chances, and he missed some big chances that cost us. Without his goals, we are the sum total of fucking nowhere. And without his goals, we're definitely not in the Europa League final. You know, if you're trying to point to a way that we improved over Arsene Wenger's season last season, the only place you could point to it really is to say, well, we're in the Europa League final, we didn't make it last season. Well, not only did we play Atletico Madrid in the semifinal last season, which is a harder game, we didn't have Aubameyang in the Europa League. He and Lacazette combined for, what, seven goals in that Valencia tie? Aubameyang basically pulled us through the Napoli and Valencia ties, and, and his goals are the only reason we achieved really anything. The misses are bad, but at the same time, like the, the goals he scores count too, and they count a lot. So while I get the frustration with his misses, you have every right to say, I'm frustrated by what he missed, but you cannot use that to say that what he did wasn't impressive. We've been crying out for a guy to be a candidate to lead the league in goal scoring. And since he's walked into the team, he's done exactly that. Had a stunning half season last season and a brilliant season this season. The misses are painful, but the goals are impressive. And I think he doesn't get enough credit for his off-the-ball work, his pressing. I think he's a better presser than people realize. He got he created the goal for Lacazette. Was it against Valencia, the second goal, um, with his pressing and recovery of the ball in the first leg? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just think he does so much good work. And not to mention, by the way, he did a lot of this out on the wing early in the season where he wasn't really getting the XG. He was, I mean, he started the season with stats that were lower than what we're used to from him as a player when he was on the wing more before he got to play more as a second striker with Lacazette. Um, and, you know... So, Elliot, yeah. can, can I ask you a question? Please. I sometimes feel as though when you talk about Aubameyang, you feel as though you have to defend him. I do. I just, I just, why do you feel you have to defend him? Because to me, he's a world-class player. Because And you know what? Maybe this is where social media is a little misleading. I just wind up with a lot of people that I see on social media, either at me or on the timeline, that are like, cool. he misses too many and he doesn't get involved in the game. Lacazette's way better than him. And like, you can but love Lacazette. why do Clive and I have to pay for that? That's true. Well, every, literally everybody <laughs> right now a, is paying Paul for it. Paul has a line. He has a catchphrase for those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck <laughs> but, but, well, because, and so, you know, Because, let's be honest, right? Just look at the club. And he, he has become almost representative of us. You know, and you go around Europe and ask people to name three Arsenal players. I guarantee you, he'll be one of them. Well, right? so I don't, I don't get it. And let I me don't say this: get... if you like Lacazette more, I think that is a perfectly reasonable answer. And I think one of the two of you will get the shot to say that. But like, um, I don't think it is reasonable to say that Obama that Aubameyang is not absolutely world class. And the other thing I'll say to his credit is, he could have come into this club. And, and wanted to show up Lacazette or wanted to be the big dog or spent this season, you know, being moody or brooding when he wasn't started or thinking he should start over Lacazette or whatever. The friendship they have struck up is the reason this works. And I think it shows the humility and selflessness of both players 
um, maybe too much to some extent, but I think that has really been an influential part of our season. So for his his willingness to be selfless with his co-striking partner, uh, that's not English, but you know, go with me, for the goals he scored, for the big goals he scored, he scored against Spurs, he scored against United, he scored against Napoli, scored against Valencia. Um, so yeah, he's my player of the season in case that wasn't clear, and I have somehow managed to take my praise of Aubameyang and make it somehow sound negative, like I'm fending <laughs> off criticism that maybe doesn't exist. You know what? Just call me Don Quixote. If you need me, I'll be tilting windmills off in a field somewhere. Clive, save me. Pick your player of the season, please. Okay. Well, I was going to say Aubameyang, but I don't think I could follow that. Please, <laughs> please don't. That. Is it, so, let uh, me guess, hey, Mesodozo? No, no, he's not mine, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, you know, we knew about Aubameyang, and actually I think he's improving. Lacazette is improving. But a player for me that came in that gave us something that we haven't seen for a long time, which is competitiveness in centre midfield and, and a different a different way of playing from the Arsene Wenger player. And that's Torreira for me, only because... I think he's slightly different to what we've seen in previous years at the club. You know, he's a he's a higher quality Coquelin and Flamini, and I think he's he's a player with a huge upside. And for a first year as a 21, 22 year old in the league, I think he's had a great impact. And only tiredness took him out. And um, hopefully, we'll see him in the final. Really, finish the season off very well because I believe he has an ability. That is really elite at what he does. He can really control space. He can really sneak the ball off people. He can really drive through people. And I think he can be deployed in different ways. He can protect the defence, but he can also play higher up. Um, I think as he settles into the league, I think he could be excellent. I don't see him as a long-term Arsenal player, funny enough. But while he's here... His skill set is really needed in our club, and I think he's been transformative in the area of the pitch that we still haven't solved. Yeah, and I, I will say that given the midfield pairings we've tried, in the absence of Ramsey, it has to be Torreira. And so, I, you know, I think whether it's Shaka, whether it's Ganduzi, you know, whoever's starting in the midfield, even if it's Elneny, like Torreira needs to be there for his mobility, and he just he, he makes those other midfielders capable of performing in, in a two-man midfield. So, Paul, that leaves you. Have we left you someone to choose? Would you like to pick uh, your boy? Uh, who's my boy? I just assume Lacazette would be the pick. <laughs> uh, I'm torn. Uh, so I'm going to go with Lacazette. Uh, if we have a, another category later on for best player who's leaving the club this summer, I have my other player to put in that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Lacazette. Because A, he's staying, and B, I, th- I mean, he's been a massive upgrade on himself this season. I think he's been uh, great at times, and when he hasn't been great, he's always grafted and done his best to make things happen. Um, and I think testament to both him and Obama's that they have developed this relationship that gives a feel-good factor to the club, to being a supporter, um and makes us fun uh, exciting many a time and um they they i think in particular in the last bunch of games ironic as our performances and our results might have been there have been times where they've shown a new level that we we hadn't seen between the two of them early on in the season so they do seem to be getting better. We just need a few more people who can get on the wavelength. It should be Ozil, and it hasn't been so far. I think Lacazette's been sensational. 
for many games, dropping in deep, making things happen, hassling, pressing. I agree with you about Aubameyang and pressing, but we sometimes uh, underestimate because he has that kind of gentle style, just how physical and aggressive Lacazette has got this year, how he'll harry and hustle, uh, get into the box and get the odd peno from being so physical and just generally shake things up a bit. So uh, I hope we'll see more pressing next year using Aubameyang and Lacazette as two of the three weapons potentially up front, uh, harrying and pressing because there's something special there. And he's still young enough to have a a long contribution to us for a long time. What's he going on? He's 27 at this point, so maybe 26. So he's got a few years left in him. No, let me ask you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And I love the fella. Well, I was just going to ask you. He's just a nice guy. Bit moody. Bit moody compared to Aubameyang, who laughs when he misses shots. So I guess that's... How do you see him linking up next season with um, uh, Messi at at Barcelona? Uh... (laughs) Yeah, well, he then drifts into my other ca- my other category and pips Ramsey for it. I guess uh, most, it won't most, happen. Yeah. No, he I, ain't I agree with you. All right, let's go to uh, another good category, another positive. Let's go with most improved or surprising player. So this can be answered in in one of two ways: either the player that improved the most in his performance, or who surprised you with the performance he put forward. Um, and I say that just to sort of include players who we didn't have, right? So if you wanted to pick someone who wasn't here the previous season, you could still incorporate him. But most improved or most surprisingly positive performance from a player this season. Uh, Paul, I'll, I'll spin it back to you. I'm going to let you go here. I will tell you, though, if you could save Licksteiner for me, I would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple I could save for you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, get, I mean, it's an interesting blend of categories um, and I'm going to go with Ganduzi. Smart. Because I think, A, he's improved significantly. And B, to your other point, we don't actually know how good he was beforehand. So it's some mix of the two. Um, he should not have been able to handle the Premier League this year. He should have got a few minutes. He should have been promising. He should have shown some fits and starts and gone backwards and blah, blah, blah. Now, maybe some people f- feel he did that. But for a 19-year-old... That is astounding what he did this year. Um, I think he looks the part. I think he's physical. He can beat players. He can dribble. Uh, he uses his body really well. People kind of jab him for his first touch, but it, it might be a little on and off, but it's mostly on. And the guy has like the balls to drop deep time and time again, no matter how he's been harried, no matter how many times he's been caught, and it's usually not too many, and drop deep, get the ball under pressure and make something happen. And, uh, you know, our, our uh, e- e- even in our uh, final contest of the season, which was there was no glory in, um, I mean, he still put in a shift. He ma- still made things happen in my book. Um so, uh, I don't know, all, all year he showed up, and I don't expect that from a 19-year-old, and I think he's been great. Yeah, he's been he's been brilliant. He really, really has been brilliant. And I, I think that, you know, when you consider the leap up he's made in the club he's gone to, like, okay, even if you want to say that there were things in his game that weren't great, he's the only 19-year-old in the Premier League that played 2,100 minutes, played over 2,000 minutes, and... You know, he he looked like he fit. Just being able to say that a 19-year-old looks like he fits playing 2,000 minutes for a Premier League club 
is something few 19-year-olds can say. In fact, this season, no 19-year-olds could say. So I think he deserves massive, massive credit for that. Clyde, before you take your pick, I mean, do you, do you agree that Ganduzi is, is worthy of that category, or do you think that we've over sort of overhyped the youngster? No, I don't think we have. I'm not. I'm not even going to select anybody else because I wouldn't be being true to us. Yes, you have to select someone else because I know who you're, you have. So you're, if you leave him to me, I'm going to pick him. <laughs> well, you can pick him. Right? You're not, uh, not going to pick Maitland Niles. Well, Maitland Niles we knew about, and I've always been. Well, a but fan he could be most him, improved. So. Yeah. yeah, I, 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 think uh, I know what you mean, Clive. Because on Maitland Niles, I kind of feel he was better before than he was at the start of the season, and it took him for a while to regain his level that was my feeling yeah, on him. i i think i think as i think as fans we 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 struggle with young players and, and i sometimes can go over the top I, I i admit that i can go over the top on certain young players but because I, I always try to project and you know you talked about a 19 year old playing in centimeters sorry in um 2000 minutes just name me another 19 year old that's running a team from center midfield anywhere Right, you know, particularly in a, in a league like the Premier League, it just it just doesn't happen very often. So when you look at that context, you look at the guy that come from Monaco for he's been there just two three months. Tielemans, he's had a couple of good games. I don't think he, I think he's decent, but this kid's been doing it in the team all season, right? And he has a couple of dips, and soon he had a dip. We're after him. We're saying he's overhyped, he's not that good, he's not in position, he gets he can't run back, he can't do this. Hold on a minute. Just look around the league and see anybody else who's nineteen that's running the game. And then you think to yourself, Oh my god, what's he gonna be like when he's twenty one? Well that's why he's getting his money doubled. You double it now because if you wait too long, he's gone. Right? That's smart that is smart work by the club. Because it, what he's going to be like when he's 21 is going to be significantly different. He'll be better again. He'll be stronger. He'll adapt to his body. He will. He'll, positioning will be better. He'll develop an outside-of-the-box shot. He might develop a free kick. There's so much more to come. And um, and that's that's the exciting things about him. Maitland Knowles, I've been a fan of him for many, many years. And... I still don't think we've seen the best of him, and I—he I, does not—he doesn't surprise me what he's done. In fact, I get surprised when he has these dead games, like the Everton game, where he's completely three out of ten because he isn't quite physically there yet to play every single three or four days. So that's his development. But yeah, he's a—he's a very good player, and I do feel that eventually, once he moves inside, particularly on the right side of a diamond, we could see something. Very special indeed, and um, and if he can develop some of the personality that Guendouzi's had, wow, that's two young players that are going to be very, very good. With Torreira, who knows? We start to get a bit of a modern two-way midfield. Yeah, and I'll say this about Guendouzi. I mean, look, there are certain games that make you sit up and take notice of a player. Sometimes they're flashes in the pan. Sometimes they're signs of what's to come. With Jack Wilshire, it was the famous Barcelona game. I mean, we lost to Man City away, but Ganduzi was our best player on the pitch, and he looked like he belonged on the pitch with those players, those players yeah. that are now being called, you know, too good for the league, and obviously, you know, all the problems surrounding City. But so, watching him that day, I said, "There's a special player in there, and it's our job to unlock it and commit to it and and nurture it." And you know, obviously, I'm very nurturing. Hopefully, the rest of the Arsenal fan base will be too, and he can be with us for a long time. Um, my most improved. Then, we- so yeah, go ahead. I'll just say, any young player, you must you must allow them to fail now and again. 
Yeah. That you must have an environment where they can fail and come back. And there are times when, myself included, sometimes I get I, I lose it. Um, there are times when, when a player has a bad game, has a dip. It doesn't mean they're a bad player. Think about their high moments and think about how much higher they can they can get to. Are they making the same errors consistently? Are they just tired? Do they need to be taken out? I thought the manager has done quite well with Grandoos this year. He's took him out towards the latter part of the season and he's coming back fresh. And potentially, you never know, you could have a role to play in that final because we're lacking a player. We're lacking a midfielder with Ramsey not being there and um, Mkhitaryan maybe not allowed to be there. You know, and Ozil, you know, Ozil's Ozil, so who knows what's going to happen there. So we, we It just depends on, play. on what his uh, his streaming Fortnite schedule is. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, I'm he's, just kidding. He's going okay. to play a role in the final, isn't he? Right? So, yes. And that's significant, and uh, that's a that's a major statement. So, yeah, I'm a big fan, big yep. fan. I'm gonna pick. So, so we did this as most improved or sort of most impressed by their performance, surprisingly impressed, you know, by their performance. I'm gonna pick Leno. Um, I was going to say you're going to pick Leno. I am going to pick Leno. I did pick Leno. You should have said it. You would have looked prophetic, but now you just look like you're smart after the fact. <laughs> pathetic. Um, yeah. Yeah, pathetic instead of prophetic. Um, yeah, I mean, look. This is a guy who the stats people hated, and admittedly, stats on goalkeepers are sort of in their infancy. We were told that he had big ricks in him, that he was a guy who made big mistakes. The fact of the matter is that that Emery kept him out early. He stuck with Czech, and then when he put Leno in, basically from the time he went with him through to the end of the season, with one exception, he was brilliant. Uh, He picked a bad day to have a bad game. What was the bad game? He had it just recently um, where he he was kind of weak on a couple of goals. It's escaping me, but, but... Essentially, he's been solid. His distribution was great. He allowed us to build play from the back. We haven't had a goalkeeper to allow us to do that in a long time. Um, He made some unbelievable saves that kept us in games. During the run where we outperformed XG, where we went on the long unbeaten run, he was um, really up there as, as a major part of that run. And as the stats are improving on goalkeepers, I've been reading that he, I think, led the league maybe in terms of uh, saves versus XG expected, like in terms of the the expected goals that we should have conceded versus what we did with him in net. So a, a great season from an affordably acquired goalkeeper. When you look at what Kepa cost, when you look at what Allison cost, when you look at what Ederson cost, for us to get Leno and if he can be this good on a continuing basis or even improve, because he's still relatively young by goalkeeping standards, then I think we really hit the jackpot. And it's a, it's a great acquisition. And for a club that has had so much uncertainty surrounding goalkeeping, Czech never really fully settled, you know, sort of an interim bridge type player. Chesney should have been the future, but we all know what happened there. Almunia was hot garbage. Fabianski, while we had him, was hot garbage. We had Vito Minone, who could ever forget that. You know, it, it has not been a strong suit for the club since probably David Seaman. I don't know that Lehman was even ever super reliable. If we have a great future keeper, that would be wonderful. Now we just need a backup keeper. Anyway, moving on. Uh, let's go to two negative categories before we get to the gaffer. Uh, so these are two different categories. And Clive, I'm going to start with you the category I'm going to give you is worst Arsenal player this season. Not to be confused with the Arsenal player that disappointed you the most. We'll do that one next. But this is just the guy who was dog shit terrible. Like the worst Arsenal player. The, the player who pulled on an Arsenal shirt this season that made you want, want to crawl into a hole and never watch football again. Yeah, that's a tough one for me. Because right? I, I try to see the positives in players. Yeah, you and Paul, you and Paul both makes me Clive. sick. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a, there are players that disappoint me, but I don't dislike them. That makes sense. 
yeah. So I don't want to say when you say worst edit, you mean worst. I want to I want to shoot you dead worst. No, to, I, to, I be, to be clear, I don't advocate murdering our players. Like I I know I can be hyperbolic at times, but I would not actually fire a weapon into. Uh, one of the Arsenal players, or any player, Unless or any human, it improved our results. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the what is it? The beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> um, so yeah, all right. Go, just pick a worse player, Clive. D- 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 dive in head first. Root around in it. Okay, so a player that I feel has disappointed me the no, most. That's the next category. The oh, next okay. category is disappointed. This is the just dog shit worst player. He's bad. He's bad at football. Tell me who's bad at football. This should be very easy. Oh, okay. Well, the one that stands out as as bad is probably purely football. Is is Carl Jenkinson? Right. Yeah, he's a bad I football. I can go with that. Bastard. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I he cold, belongs. Cold-hearted at, prick. He, <laughs> you know, he's he's a he's a he's a he's a game lad. Put it this way: he got he got sent back to us from Birmingham. Right, so why are we accepting it? Right, so he's uh, he started uh, against Crystal Palace. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and because another player, I'm not sure if he played actually Crystal Palace. Lichtsteiner, we he had should have been your pick. Him. By the way, you should have picked him. Yeah. He was fucking yeah, horrible. Well, but I can ex- that's explainable, right? He, he didn't he didn't have the intensity for this league. The guys won seven leagues playing for Juventus. I'm not going to disrespect him like that, right? He just went to a league that wasn't um, was too intense for him, and he and he didn't he couldn't manage it. So, but he's not a bad player. The guy knows how to play. He hasn't got the legs for the game. Carl Jenkinson is a bad player. His positional sense is terrible. Technically, Harry, you see the ball is terrible. He tackles with his wrong foot, ends up, that's why he's done his knee. He um, he is a poor player. What he can do is run in straight lines and he can cross the ball on the run. That's what he can do. And that's why that's why Emery tried to gamble and play him as a wing-back. And he's still messed up in, the, in that game and didn't last the game because he's not of the level. And you have to understand that. It's not about, play, you know, there are players that do bad things and have bad days, but they belong at this level. There are players that do bad things and don't belong at this level. And so the things that he does don't belong at Arsenal Football Club. And it's just, it's a harsh thing to say, but that's the truth. Ah, can totally, I say, totally fair. Can I say something here? Yeah. That the Clive would have a go at the one player who's probably a Patreon member of our podcast because he's <laughs> no, a fan. Look, we, we tried to unleash something in Clive thinking, oh, he'd nudge his way towards someone that everybody hates. And he picks the one lad everybody fucking loves. Our favorite player. I was going to name him as best player. This I was going to name him as most improved and best player. Uh, Clive, that's just Clive for you. All right, well, well, Paul, why don't you pick a worst player? This is Clive. I thought you would struggle most with this category. All right, worst player. Um, see, uh, I, I think it's harsh on harsh on Licky. He doesn't have the le- legs, but I think he's an okay player. But there's not a go, reason why. Go, it's just who is the worst. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with Mustafi. Ding ding. Because he, because <laughs> he's been the most costly at times. Yeah, uh, and now you would know all you know all the reasons yeah. why I would defend him, and like probably two games out of three, maybe three games out of four, he's okay. He's okay to pretty good, and some games he's he's very good. So this is very harsh, but if I think of somebody who really hurt me, me personally, after I'd backed him this year, and made me look foolish, 
Uh, I don't know if that's still the category. I'm going to go with Mustafi because I do think for the money, for, you know, what are the factors here? I could include a few. It has, when you see us with um, Socrates and Koscielny on a reasonable day, the great degree of calm you see in our defensive lineup versus Mustafi on a dodgy day. Uh, just seems so much more chaotic and so so expensive to the team. So I don't think he's actually a totally terrible player. I think there's a lot that's good about him, but he's awfully costly to us. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone could argue with that. And I mean, I guess theoretically he could fit into the next category, the most disappointing player, if you didn't want to say he's the worst. Um, but but I think having him in the worst it makes me smile, and I'm glad he's there uh, because he belongs there. I have to pick one, and... You kind of took Mustafi's the one I wanted to pick, and yeah. um, that's the other reason I took it. Licksteiner is. I, I could be more gently extinguishing the life from him than you would. Yeah, that's fair. So I can't pile on. I mean, I could. I have a microphone, but um, I want to pick Licksteiner. But just to be different, I'm going to say Mohamed El Nenny. Mm. I think this is a player we gave a contract extension to at a time when we were all like, "Yeah, serviceable squad player, sure." And I cannot think of a game he played in that had any meaning, and he didn't play much, where he wasn't a complete dumpster fire. Could not progress the ball, could not add anything to the way we built the play, didn't really track back particularly well, wasn't particularly helpful in possession, couldn't help. I mean, when he was on the pitch with Ganduzi, Ganduzi was doing everything, and then he was just yielding all of the responsibility to the kid who's 19 years old. I, I mean, maybe it's harsh. I just feel... We, we put the faith in him and giving him a new contract with the thought that he could be the kind of squad player that adds something when you have to rotate around. And he became a player that you just had to try not to use. And that's a problem. When you've just given a contract to a squad player who you now feel you cannot use or the squad is in deep shit because he doesn't work in any of the formations you want to play, that's a problem. So for me, I'll pick Elneny. Let's go with the most disappointing. Paul, rotate it back to you. So this one is more just the player who based on what your expectations at the start of the season would have been, uh, the way they performed dramatically uh, under-exceeded. That's, wow, that's mm. not a word. Uh, underperformed right. your expectations. It's all right. I got this one. Take it away. I, I, but it's a two-way tie between Dennis Suarez and Dennis Suarez's groin. Um, I mean, Do you, do you have some inside information re- from his partner? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he just, that was... That was part of the reason Go he wasn't on. playing for us, apparently. Look, he might actually be a very good player, but apparently we'll never fucking know. Uh, what, a, what a disaster of a transfer. Uh, I have a lot less trouble, as you know, with the profile of the player. And, oh, oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I, have, yeah. I have the receipts the, on Twitter. <laughs> and the, the projected skills that we should have ought to have seen. But in terms of disappointing, man, that was, that was embarrassing to himself to the club, to me, me more than anybody, I think. Yeah, uh, (laughs) especially. I have the receipts, as I mentioned. Yeah, no, I think that's a good shout because, I mean, at the end of the day, even if I didn't think he was what we needed, I had warmed to the idea that he could add something at a busy point of the season, and he added nothing. Um, He had one minor half-decent cameo against United and then basically didn't play or couldn't play, so who knows. Clive, how about you? Who was your most disappointing player of the season? Um, 
disappointing. I will okay. tell you that Tim already got this right in his segment, which is coming up later. Okay. Most disappointing player. It's, um, I don't know. I, I don't think anyone's been significantly disappointing about that. Oh, whole I mean, season. there's one that you can absolutely name, and Tim nailed it. Well, there's two, right? Okay. Yeah. There's, pick, the, pick there's the Granit, there's Granit, there's Granit Xhaka. That's a great shout. I love that shout. That is not what Tim picks. I'm not going to ruin the, the, the suspense. So why don't you give me that one? But that's only been a, a, a recent phenomenon in my mind because I have somebody that has said he could easily be our captain next season, right? But then I've looked at it and thought to myself, no, change change your thought process, Clive. And that, mate, it's not... We have to, at some point, we have to decide if we're going to develop as a team, we have to look at those players that have been relatively successful, but actually we may have seen the most from. And so that we, we spoke about that before, Ella, didn't we? Holding on to our successes too long. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he's been an abject failure, though his mistakes are very easy to spot. But I do think I want Arsenal to be different. And I, I look and I read and I learn from people like yourself that, that show me things like shots against and things like that. And your, your, your thoughts go immediately to our defenders. And I think differently. I think about our centre midfield. I think about our mobility. I think about our recovery speed. I think about our technical security because that's where it starts from. And so, and he's a big part in that. So I can't have those thoughts and then look at a key pillar of our centre midfield and say, you'll do for me, right? And so on that basis, I find him disappointing. But actually as a player, he's somebody that's been quite pivotal for us in recent years. But recently, I think since the international break, he's either been injured or he's just not quite been at it. And every season he has these periods where he's not there. He's here at the start of the season where he costs us. And he rolled into that Brighton game and did what he did. And I thought, no, mate, you're not a kid. You're somebody that is an experienced international captain that's been to tournaments. And you go and do that in a critical game where the club is trying to get to the Champions League where it can up its revenues by about 60, 70 million pounds. And you go and do that. I find that disappointing. You know, and so that's what's bothering me about it. And so you got to say, so at some point, the culture in the club, acceptable. Do you just say, sorry, lads, just in room and then and get your wash bag and trot out and your, and your first pick next game? Or do we say, no, it's not acceptable. You sit down for a while. That crap's got to stop. You've got to go to Italy where you can cope, you can cope with the pace of the game. Or you go to Bayern Munich where no one runs past you because everyone is so scared of Bayern Munich, they sit in their box. We have, and I think Arsenal need to think about that. So I've changed my view. So now, the more I think about, it, the more I talk. He disappoints me, but it's a problem. He's a problem that we don't have to fix now, but we could. If I feel, I would like to see us fix it because it would be really, I, I, an identity move and a culture move if we took players like him. And I will say as well, I don't want to take anyone else's pick, players like him and players like Ozil. And I know Rams is going for other reasons and maybe he didn't deserve to go. But I'm one for moving forward and they are part of the culture we need to move away from. Yeah, yeah I, I can't argue with that. I am going to pick a, a pick that saddens me and I think has some asterisks next to it, which is Alex Awobi. Um, asterisks. Asterisks. There's a lot of 
a sibilance in that word. Um, the the reason it's it's a weird one is three months into the season or so, I was thumping my chest about how I predicted him to be the breakout player of the season, and he looked like he was going to be. But this is the story with Awobi, and it has been. He gets a good start to the season. He looks confident. He looks like he's improving, and something happens, and his head drops, and he loses it, and he can't get it back. And I think, you know, he he has struggled to show that he can be a consistent forward in the Premier League, and something has to change for him. You know, maybe it is being a, a more attacking midfielder in a three, whatever it is. Maybe he's being used wrong. But I, I think it's a Wobie, and it's a shame because I don't want to be sitting here saying he disappoints me. He's an academy player. He's had bright moments. Um, I think ultimately, though, he has had his chances. It's not like he's new in this team. It's not like he hasn't had the chance to play before. You know, Maybe under Arsene Wenger, he wasn't getting exactly what he needed, so here's a new coach to give him sort of a new approach. And I just don't think he was able to convert that into the kind of season that you'd hope from him. And ultimately... For me, and I realize there are people that are going to say his creative numbers are pretty good, yada, yada. Okay, six assists, three goals, I think is what it winds up being in the league. I think from a guy who starts a lot of minutes at wide forward, it's not good enough. And, you know, you look at Mkhitaryan, who I think could also be in this category as disappointing player, maybe more deservedly because he's on a very big wage. He's a very experienced player, and I thought he was really poor this season too. He still managed more output, you know, than than Iwobi did in, in his limited time. So... Ultimately, I think we could have achieved more this season if either one of those two players had really stepped up, and I would have loved for it to have been a Wobi. Sadly, it didn't happen. Maybe his future is in another part of the pitch for us or somewhere mm. else. But go ahead, Clive. Yep. I was going to say earlier, you would know this, but it will be Mkhitaryan and Ramsey. I think I heard, and you would know, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think Mkhitaryan scored six goals. I think Ramsey scored six goals. And I think Kawobi scored six goals. If I said that to people, I think they'd be quite surprised that Mkhitaryan scored the same amount of goals as Ramsey. I think, and I agree with you, I think he deserves a disappointing tag probably a bit more because where he is in his career, what his dollar value is for us, etc., what what he's paid and how he arrived, etc. But I do think sometimes we we have a perception of people before they start and we judge them accordingly. Now, I think, as you would know, Wobi's assist numbers are great. But then when I think, so sometimes, what are we judging him as? I, I still don't feel we've got him in the right position. I know you agree with me. I still feel he needs more players like him in the squad so he stands out. I do think he lacks a mental weakness. I do think he's immature in games at times. I think he knocks off concentration in time. He shows all the attributes of a young player still trying to find his way. Whereas Mkhitaryan, I can't explain his inconsistencies due to his experience level internationally across many countries. I can't explain it. And and I think players like him are now holding us back. Iwobi's 70 grand homegrown player. He's not holding us back. Mkhitaryan, Meza Ozil, those players uh, not I mean, producing. I, I agree, but can I... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Do, do, so it's a, bit, yeah, of a, club, do, it's a bit of a club statement. I know you're looking for pointed answers, and I've broadened no, it a little bit. No, no, more, no. But. no that's not, I just have a rejoinder to that, which is you talk about holding us back, right? Like, it depends what you think holding us back is. So in the league, Awobi had three goals. Okay, three goals and six assists. He was also the yeah. worst passer uh, in the team outside of the strikers and the goalkeepers. 
Yeah. So what I would say is he played 2,000 minutes, had 22 starts, 13 sub-appearances mm-hmm. at, at forward. And I just think if you look around the top teams in the league, you know, whether it's Chelsea, United, City, Liverpool, even Spurs, their wide players are giving them more output than that. And so you talk about holding back, like what would a 12-goal wide forward have meant to us? You know, yeah. someone someone with that kind of output who passed the ball oh, a little better, who was a little more pacey and direct. I, so he's not holding us back from a resource standpoint, but I think when you're giving 22 starts and 2,000 league minutes to a forward who has no goal-scoring end product, that does hold you back, I think. It does. Right, and you know what, mate? He disappoints me probably from a coaching perspective as much as anybody because I don't think he's anywhere near where he could be. But I also don't think he's been played where he should be. I, I agree. That's a, where he, I agree. Yep. He, mm-hmm. He's an attacking midfielder. That's a transitional player. He's not, for me, a, a wide forward, even though he has the ability of, of one-on-one. We used to play Abu Dhabi wide left in a 4-2-3-1 because he knew he could hold the ball and dribble the ball. But that was never his position. You know, once he got inside, he then started to flourish, right? So, I, I'm, I, I. By the way, I, I get your frustrations. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just trying to outline how players are perceived differently based on our own structures and what we think they are. I don't think this player has been discovered yet, and I think once he is discovered, he either could be discovered at another club, or he's going to have to leave. Or we need to we need to fix him positionally, or make him a multi-positional player and judge him as such, right? So um, he's one that he one he's one that perplexes me, mate. To be honest, really does. Um, this part of him I just don't like attitude-wise, and I want to see him grasp the moment a lot more than he actually has done. So I. I totally understand why he frustrates you. Yeah, and, and again, it's not that I'm killing him. It's that I'm saying, like, he got a lot of starts in an important position where he didn't have the end product for it, and he started the season very brightly. You know, he has three goals. I believe those three goals were scored in, like, the first two months or something. Um, you know, he, he just he got off to a good start, and he's a player who seems like a real confidence player where when he misplaces a pass or a shot goes wrong, he drops his head. You physically see him react to when he doesn't get things right, and... He's got to lift himself, and he's got to have the the confidence. Emery was interviewed about him, and he basically said, I want him closer to goal. I want more goals and assists out of him. And he didn't get it. So now Emery has to decide if he thinks he can get that from him. Uh, Let's start to wrap up. We've got Tim's section coming up. I want to throw in a surprise category that isn't on the list, and I want it to be real punchy, real quick. So, Paul, what is your what-if moment of the season? the, The moment or thing that if you could change this thing, you think you know the whole season comes out differently? The sliding doors. Um, yeah, sliding doors moment of the season, exactly. Or or thing, yeah, exactly. Let's say, let's go. Maybe, maybe Bellerin. That's a great, uh, great choice. Yeah, because we became very flat for a while, you know, and when you combine it with the other players we lost around that time, it was it was kind of devastating. We lost Mkhitaryan soon after. So the whole white, right side went away, and it took us a while before we got Maitland-Niles. That's a lot of points in there. That's more than the one point we needed to tie it with Spurs by by a long way. Now, maybe those other things would have happened or maybe the other teams would have responded. But, you know, for a nice, easy one for me, uh, uh, you know, and maybe I'm brought to mind because there's a little video of uh, Ozil knocking in uh, goals in practice today. And I'm like, they're cool and everything. But like the camera pans, I'm like, holy fuck, screw all that shit. There's Hector Bellerin standing in the middle of the field with the ball at his feet with all the other 
players around him. Wonder if he might be able to avail, uh, available for uh, the final. He won't, of course, but but what if? Yeah, how about you, Clive? What if moment? Um, I think Danny Welbeck's injury for mm. me. Um, you have you have been quite on about this this season. I I think you're right, though. I mean, what a difference he could have made, huh? Well, I I think he's a significant player. You know when um, teams go into the box and, and they let us have the wide areas and we do our little overload thing and we cross it and they just get rid of it because our two centre forwards are, they're not great in the air. They're good in the air in broken play, but they're not great in the air. No. Danny Welbeck gives us that physical presence that we miss when Drew was moved away. That's a big option. And if teams know we have him, they can't do that. They've got to come out and get us in wide areas. They've got to try and stop the cross. They try and stop the cross. We can slide into spaces. Um, I also feel we all know we've got our average defenders at the back. I know we lost Holding. And I think he's a, he's a, you know, a promising player. I don't think he would have stopped the goals, as some people say, wouldn't have been the absolute saviour. Bellerin was it was a very good player, and I can't wait to have him back. But we found another very good player. It just took us a while. Know? That was the problem, yeah. It took us a while. It took us a little while to, to stidify. And I, I think, you know, not to take away Paul's pick, because I, I sort of think Bellerin brings a lot to this club. And I think, you know... We talk about captains for next year, and he could he could quite easily be that player. I don't think we'd have said that two years ago, right? So, um, but for me, our stars of our team are the two forwards, and I think we could have got more from those two forwards if they were allowed to rest on occasion, and if they had some even further offensive, powerful support that Welbeck could have offered, they'd have had more space to be more effective on the days when we need them to be. And, I think that was, for me, I think that was the way, that was the issue, and we didn't replace him, and we've got lucky. Aubameyang and Lacazette have not been really injured significant periods of time. Can you imagine if, if one of them got seriously hurt? We were talking one striker in the club, and that's... Yeah, that's a good you know, point. We, we, we don't got feel lucky. the loss of Welbeck as much as we could, in part because Lacazette and Aubameyang stayed fit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Agreed. absolutely. Um, no, and, and you know what, Clive? I mean, we banged on about how this team just lacks athleticism, and Welbeck is one of the best athletes in the team in terms of just his explosiveness, his aerial ability, his burst of pace. It would have given us something else, I agree. And, you know, late in the season when we were sort of struggling to be dynamic, bringing him on in some of those games I think could have made a difference, especially the, Bright, did, the Brighton I, game at the I, end. I was at work today, but I read something quickly that there was a, there was a behind-closed Doors game last week or early in the week, and he scored a hat trick in it. And now they're potentially talking about him yeah, being on that. the bench. So uh, I don't know. I don't know who's in the squad even, but that's interesting, isn't it? That shows you he what is, sort apparently. of guy he is. Look, yeah. The, so the obvious answer to this question is the one that uh, Paul typed into the chat. It's the one that I was going to say anyway, which is Aubameyang's penalty against Spurs, and it, it, it's the ultimate what if moment because if he makes that, if he scores that penalty, we win that game. If we win that game, we finish top four. I believe we go on to finish top four. But I mean, you can always say, well, other things could have changed. First of all, I think our form maybe doesn't dip as low, but I think we go on to finish top four. The interesting thing is, let's say the worst case scenario happens and we just get battered in the final in the Europa League or something. There is a not totally unrealistic scenario where Unai Emery does not keep his job. I, I think he probably will, but 
you know, let's say Allegri flirts with us and we lose the final in embarrassing fashion and, and Emery goes. That Aubameyang penalty miss could literally cost him his job because you beat Spurs away at Wembley, what it means to the fans, what it means to top four. We're in the Champions League no matter what happens in the final and suddenly it's mission accomplished. He did what he was asked to do. So it's the ultimate moment. I guess you could make a shout for Ramsey's hamstring injury late in the season because if Rams if Ramsey's fit down the stretch, I also think we finish top four and we have a better chance in the final. So, you know, either way. Oh, the life of an Arsenal fan. What Three if, of the four possible picks are injuries. So. Yeah, yeah, for forever cursed yeah. with injury. All right, let's get to the very, very end here. And it's the letter, ga- letter grade for Emery's season and maybe just sort of a quick summary on why you give him that grade. I will start with you, Clive. What is your, you know, uh, American style school letter grade? What is your letter grade for Emery's season uh, so far overall? Okay, yeah, I give him a B. I think, um, I think he's done a decent job. I think he has a very challenging work environment, and I think he's thrown himself into it and done a decent job. I was watching um, a review from um, Statman Dave actually on YouTube about Emery. It was only a, it was a few months ago, just and he was very, very positive about him. And it just shows you how things can change very quickly after a few results. I have been consistent about wanting a manager that is tactically flexible, prepares for games, and maximises his his squad and his players. I don't think we'll ever all agree that he's done the latter, but I think we can all agree that he's done his best to approach games in the right way and not just turned up without any preparation. And I found the lack of preparation in recent years, I found it disappointing. And um, I also feel he's been much more competitive in top six games. So, yeah, I could give him a B. And if he gets to the Champions League, that will flip to a B-plus very, very quickly. What about you, Paul? What do you give the gaffer first season is his first year at this school what's his grade well you see um i come from an education system where we don't throw our grades around like confetti <laughs> elliot um like an a is is something to be cherished and is a rarity are you suggesting that i was born of grade inflation and accomplished everything i did in my life as a result of that yeah that's uh, very well put i mean uh, who could I argue give, i got, I I got news Emory for you is, uh, they yeah. don't just hand out Princeton diplomas. Who am I kidding? Of course they hand out Princeton diplomas. Once you get in there, nobody, nobody gets below a C anyway. Yeah. Did you really get in there or did your parents pay some kind of second? No, no. I mean, I really got in there and it was an honor to be able to go to the uh, Smith Family Library every day and then eat at the Smith Family Canteen. But it had nothing to do with why uh, I got into Princeton. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, as far, as far as I'm aware, I earned my way in and then skated my way through. Good. Good, man. Good. Um, but this isn't all about you, Elliot. It should be. Um, so um, I would go with a C for Emery because we grade hard, grade hard where I come from. Uh, I think it's totally indeterminate. There's some good stuff. Uh, there's some bad stuff. There's plenty of stuff left unresolved. The guy was always going to need a year. But that's easy to say at the start of the year. None of us can keep to the promise that, that we're not going to be overly critical because... Uh, you look at what happens in that year and you're like, there's more questions, more problems than answers. Uh, but he was left with a couple of landmines. The the Ramsey one, 
which should have been solvable much earlier, and the Ozil one, which I think is far more intractable than he is given credit for. When you look at uh, Zidane uh, trying to scrape Bale off his shoe like a dog turd, because his objective is he must get Bale out of the club to free up those wages and to free up that spot. And it's transparent to see what's going on there. And you look at the push we had uh, with Ozil to get him to move at during the January window. I think Emery, uh, after some level of time in, in the first m- couple of months, got with Unai, got with Raúl and the boys, and they made a decision that uh, we couldn't afford him going forward, and that the way forward was to free him up and to push him out. I think that was a challenge given to Emery. Um, and after the January window closed and there was no blink side, blah, blah, blah. So I think that was the the real uh, handicap for him in moving the club forward. And yeah. it's a problem that will remain this summer. I mean, if they decide to keep him um, and, the, you know, everybody builds the bridges and we move forward, so be it. But I assume they're going to have to have another run at encouraging him to leave the club and until that issue is resolved i don't really know how you you judge emery too harshly because that's a massive issue within the squad squad morale how we play uh how we approach where we get the funds and just to cloud over the direction of the club that uh it's not a problem of emery's making you may quibble how he handled it but i don't know how you'd actually critique it based on how little we know uh about the goings on there there are other opinions on that topic but that's mine yeah so see indeterminate don't know and i don't think he'll really have a good run at it till we decide on those one way or another and get it resolved mm. okay well i'm gonna go with a, a C minus, C, C minus, I, I'm, I'm torn. So here's what I would say, right? Like part of how you grade something is according to what the what the requirements were, right? So like sometimes grading can just be like meets, exceeds, or underperformed, right? So like what were some of the requirements? Make us better in big games, more competitive in big games. Clearly did that. I think you can clearly say he did that. Get the defense to work better. Did not do that. I think we can be very clear that for whatever the reason, and you can say, look, it might have been getting better when Holding was fit, and he lost Holding, and he lost Bellerin, and Licksteiner was a waste, and you know he lost players. That okay, at the end of the day, the defense was horrible. What about the attack? Fewer shots than we've ever taken. Our shot differential was poor. Our XG was poor. Like we we profile on XG difference like a mid-table team. We profile on shot difference like a mid-table team. Those are worrying, and you might say, well, that those are stats. Those aren't reality. The reality in the sense that they suggest that behind this fifth place finish where we collapsed at the end was a team that was performing over the course of the season kind of more like a mid-table team than a top four team. And yet it was right there for us and we collapsed at the end. There were a lot of things in this season that just felt like they weren't any better than the worst ever Arsene Wenger season despite a better squad. Not a, not a great squad and certainly a flawed squad, but a better squad. Um and yet the big games were good. 
There were things that he did well. I think it is certainly true that the Ozil and Ramsey situations were complicated ones, and we may never know fully what was going on behind the scenes such that we can determine whether he handled it poorly or not. Did someone step in and tell him to bring Ozil back? Did he just give in and decide to? Did they actually have some kind of meeting of the minds that we don't know about? Why wasn't Ramsey playing? Was it a tactic to try to get him sold in January? We, we don't know any of this. So I can only judge on the results the statistics, the trends, the things that got better or didn't get better. And you might say, well, with all, everything you just said, is that a D? Is it a fail? I think it's a C because of how we played in big games and because ultimately I think he came into a transitional season that we knew was going to be hard culturally. And I think to to keep the team floating at or around competitive top four level is a credit. Obviously, winning the Europa League would matter. Um but I don't think that's what we hire a manager to do. I don't think anybody on this podcast or anyone I know who's an Arsenal fan would have said that Arsene Wenger should have stayed after our last FA Cup final victory. Um, you know, I, I think winning the FA Cups was wonderful, and yet we understood that Arsene Wenger had to be graded separate and apart from that. And so I think Emery has to be graded separate and apart from the Europa League, and, and we'll just see what happens there. But if he gets us into the Champions League, I think he will stay, and we'll see. Having said that, um, I would be fine with whatever the direction the club said. If they if they said he deserves another season, we're going to stick with him. Of course, I back him all the way. If Allegri or someone desirable was out there that made eyes at the club and the club decided to take the punch, I wouldn't be heartbroken if they made that choice either. Uh, but having said that, of course, I am uh, part of Unai's Red Army for the last game of the season. And uh, yeah. when we win it and get in the Champions League, this podcast will be deleted from the RSS feed. So no problem. In any event... We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Tim's choices. So, uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Lucky. I was going to come for you there. No, you're Thanks not doing much. it. You're not doing it. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, we're going to do stuff for the, obviously, for the Europa League final. We're going to do some squad building stuff with Clive that's going to be awesome. If you haven't checked out Best of the Emirates here on the Patreon yet, do it. Stay with us. We got Tim coming up with his awards for the season right after this. We're back. Welcome to part two. And now the star of the show is here. Um, I like this. I like the idea of getting all of this stuff out of the way early that we just have to slog through so that we can get to the meat of the episode. Uh, and of course, the meat, as he is quite frequently referred to, is Tim. You can find him on Twitter. It's Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Do you mind being called the meat? Is that okay with you? No, no, no. Not at all. Not Great. at all. It's uh, good for the self-esteem. There you go. All right. Well, meat, let's see what you got. Let's throw <laughs> some heat. Um, we're going to review this season. We're going to do it pretty quickly because uh, we've already covered a lot of ground, as you can imagine, with you know Clive and Paul doing the thing they do. Uh, and me. Let's, let's throw me under the bus, too. So, all right. Let's start with this. What, for you, is the high moment of the season? The, the game that you're going to look back on this season and most enjoy remembering? Um, hopefully the Europa League final, but uh, at the time of recording, Touché. that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> um, so I, the, the obvious answer is Tottenham at home, isn't it? But um, without having heard the other two, I'm going to guess that they've covered that in quite some depth. Um, and I, I don't think it really needs going over why that was the high point of the season, both for Emery as a manager and, and for us, like for yeah, how give, we give respond me a hipster to choice. <laughs> emotionally. So I'm going to say the two legs against Napoli, mate, like I'll, to pick one game and play ball. I'll say the Napoli away game in the Europa League because I wasn't hugely confident about that. I thought that was a real 50-50 tie. Um, 
and you know Napoli are a, uh, Napoli are a really good team. I think we got them at the right time. We got them when their season was winding down, and I think the competitive edge had come off them a little bit. But um, I, I thought the way we played in that first leg was was really fantastic. Like, a, you know, I know Napoli had a couple of chances, but I kind of think that's unavoidable against good opposition, and we had a couple more to kill it. I, I thought that was like quite a good controlled performance. Where and what what was quite rare about it was that I followed what we were doing from the first minute to the last, which I don't think we've had that many performances like that this season. Um, where there's just been like an arc all the way through it, where you say, "Yeah, I know what we, I know what we, we're up to here," and that was at the point of the season, I think, where we thought we'd found something um, with kind of Ramsey and Özil in a three-five-two, um, and and then the away game as well, which I was again really pleasantly surprised with because I thought we controlled it um, even before we got the goal. I I thought. I always felt like we were in control. Given, you know, Napoli were comfortable second place in Serie A this season, I think that's that's really good opposition. And uh, mm. and and given where we finished in the league, and again, you know, recording this before the Europa League final, could be an absolutely critical juncture in the season. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean, you know, you know what it is also, Tim, about that that tie is that like, obviously, our season collapsed domestically. Um, mm. And so for the players to be able to find the resolve to lift themselves for the Europa League was great. But also I thought it was the part of the Europa League in the season where Lacazette and Aubameyang really stepped up and said, we're going to put the team on our shoulders and carry you there. Um, mm. Because yep. so many players were disappointing or were injured or you know, couldn't seem to lift their game. And Aubameyang and Lacazette did, and we needed yep. them to, and they did again against Valencia and hopefully will against Chelsea. So I think that's yep. a great choice. Well, if I'm going to make you do that, how about a hipster's choice of least favorite game of the season? <laughs> um, I'm going to go for the defeat at West Ham in January, the 1-0 defeat, um, because that kind of came off the back of a period where I, I thought we were doing all right. Um, and then over Christmas, it, you know, it starts to get a little bit stodgy and we draw with Brighton and get smashed by Liverpool. And you think, oh, OK, because, you know, that Spurs result at the end of November was really like, right, we're here, we've arrived. And um, and then it was a bit like, oh, have we really? And then that West Ham game just it felt like the last season of Wenger to me. That's what it felt like. It felt like any number of the away defeats we had in Arsene Wenger's final season where, you know, the the opposition just create one chance score and we don't lay a glove on them um, at any point. And, and actually, I, th- I thought we kind of started that game okay. And then it, it, it it's a, that was a real game for the intangibles where I think you could see the team had like lost belief in what they were trying to do or else they didn't really know what they were trying to do and they kind of just muddled through the whole game and never really looked like getting that equalizer they just looked like they were vaguely trying stuff um and and that felt like a real step backwards because i i felt like perhaps you know we'd got that we had that 22 un- game unbeaten run. It came to an end, and then we had, you know, a little bit of a sticky period over Christmas. But you go, all right, well, it's Christmas. There's lots of games, um, and that West Ham game, it, it really felt like um, a step backwards. But um, I mean, if we're talking lowest moment, obviously, Aubameyang's penalty miss against Spurs is at the moment. But mm. I, I, I feel like this West Ham game was when I started to think because I, you know. Everyone can listen back to the podcast of our immediate uh, reaction to Emery's appointment. And I think 
most of us were slightly concerned and obviously Clive that was never concerned he always no. believed <laughs> true true and 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 you know you can't help but watch the season through that prism of your first impression and so that's like your center point and everything else is like right convince me like because no like nobody's free of bias right nobody starts in the middle nobody starts neutral so if you have a slight doubt about the appointment you go right prove yourself to me bring me back to the middle and I felt like I'd kind of got there and I thought okay all right you know this is okay and then I feel like that all the doubts started creeping back in after Mm. that yeah, no, that's a great point. Although I think you've really offended team neutral gooners, um, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. Like, like you're probably right that the lowest moment is that penalty miss. But for me, the lowest moment was full time of the Brighton game because, mm-hmm. like, I know, and it's the very end, and you say, "Oh, recency bias." I swear, I've never felt lower this season because mm. after all the lifelines had been thrown to us, literally, we were like drowning in an ocean of lifelines. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. Couldn't grab one, and it felt like when everything broke our way going into that game, I was like, "Holy shit, we're gonna pull it off!" Yeah, we take yeah. the lead, and I'm like, "Here we go, we've got this." You know, we get a dodgy penalty to get the lead against Brighton at home, smooth sailing, and then like gut punch and the way it happens yeah. the dumb shack of penalty when they were never going to trouble us and you know it, it just that was low moment for me anyway yeah let's yeah. not wallow let's um favorite goal there were a couple under the radar kind of mm-hmm. cool goals here is there one that stands out for you that you loved um i mean i i think abamyang's against leicester um you know in in terms of a goal that uh, in terms of the execution and the quality of the goal was was absolutely fantastic, um, amazing football. And, and Arsenal tend to score two or three goals like that a season where everything comes together. But I, I think for me, um, I'd go with the Abamyang equaliser at home to Spurs. Um, because that's it's a, a great one touch goal. finish from the edge of the box. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a great goal, and it came out of nowhere. Um, and it was just what we needed where we were kind of muddling through the game after a bad start and we were 2-1 down and we were grasping and you think, oh, here we go again. And it, it kind of, it was a little bit, I guess, a microcosm of the season where you can't really, I, I mean, actually that Spurs game was a bit of a, a tactical triumph. Emery made good changes, but um, really that was the moment that sparked us and it was it was one of the strikers and and I really think that's the story of the season really that we're Mm. kind of vaguely bumbling around and then one of the strikers produces something and that's what happened there and that obviously powered um, and informed everything that happened afterwards Um, so yeah I I think the Aubameyang equalizing goal against Spurs yeah you know the thing people forget is we had a couple not a lot this season but a couple end-to-end flowing moves that were stunning this season Mm. there was the one that ended with a Ramsey goal I believe that was extraordinary and, and played all the way down the pitch. Ramsey was involved in midfield and then got on the end of it. And we didn't see a lot of that. But yeah, there, there were some great goals from the strikers, obviously. I mean, I, I think a Lacazette's against uh, Liverpool, the, the yep. equalizer at home, certainly one to remember and cost them the title. So, you know, maybe you want to pick yeah. that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get into players real quick. How about your player of the season? Uh, I So... I think I've got two answers to this. I've got the sentimental answer, which is Lauren Koscielny. Um, you can't pick the... him for all the uh, <laughs> superlatives for um, all the podcasts we do. Those um, of you who are not patrons, he picked him as his player of the Emirates era. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't need to cover why that is. Everyone knows why that is. I mean, he, he played brilliantly, but obviously the context around it. But um, my when I voted in the Arsenal.com poll, I voted for Aubameyang. 
Um, and look, let's face it, it's between Aubameyang and Lacazette and there's not really a lot. There's players who've been okay, like Socrates. Yeah, he deserves a mention. Bern Leno, he's really come on. He deserves a mention. But it's one of those two strikers and really you, you can't make an argument against either of them. I, I went with Aubameyang just because um, I think that he... I think he he kind of matches Lacazette for work rate in a way that people don't appreciate because it's mainly off the ball. I think people don't appreciate him as a player anyway because most of what he does is off the ball. But I feel like Aubameyang and Lacazette have had pretty much the same level of performance. But Aubameyang just plain scored a few more goals. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Um, you, and, you know and, what's funny, Tim? I feel like if Aubameyang scored 70 and missed 70 sitters, yeah, for some reason people will be like, well, screw the guy. He had all the misses. Like the misses yeah, yeah. don't undo the goals. He still exactly. scored all those over thirty goals this season. And it's it's kind of weird as well that we had Giroud for so long, and everyone, you know, rightly was kind of saying, "Oh, but we need like a thirty goal a season striker, not like an eighteen to twenty. And we've got one, and everyone's a bit like, "Nah, he misses <laughs> and, a few uh, too many." And I, I do feel like again through recency bias a bit of that's been corrected because he came through against Valencia you know he powered through to the golden boot against Burnley so you know things are kind of hunky-dory with him again and he went through that period where you know having missed a penalty against Spurs um, you know that colours people's opinion of him Um, but yeah I I just and, and for him as well just as a player like we always used to talk in England about like players coming from other leagues and needing time to adapt. And Aubameyang's just, you know, he's like been scoring 25 to 30 goals in the Bundesliga for the last few years, comes to the Premier League to a team that struggles to create. And frankly was a mess when he signed and he just keeps doing it. And, and that, that to me is incredible. Can you imagine how many goals he'd score for Man City? Those tap-ins like that they provide for Raheem Sterling, like he'd break forty goals for City. I know everyone's sick to death of the xG stats, but his xG per ninety leads the league ahead of Aguero. Like mm. even in a kind of dysfunctional team that doesn't take a lot of shots, he was the number one in quality scoring chances per ninety. Yep. Like he's he's just very unique in that respect. He's been leading leagues at that basically since the dawn of time. And the funny thing is Lewandowski. Yep underperformed his XG this season by 10 by goals. 10, yeah. Like, imagine if he played for Arsenal, how much people would hate him. Yeah. Um, it's just funny. So, all right, well, good good choice. Let's do two more player categories before we wrap up. One is, um, how about most improved? The player that, that had the impact maybe you didn't expect this season in, in a positive way. Um, so, I would maybe... Uh, I, well, I was going to say Maitland-Niles, Um because you know and and I think he really should have improved he's getting a lot more you know first team game time he's holding down the same position but I I think the answer to this one is Lacazette Um, I when we signed him I honestly thought we'd signed like a good like but not great striker Um, I, I still don't necessarily think he's you know a great striker but he's really good and actually after you know he went, you know, he, had, he was carrying that knee injury. It took him some time to settle, I think, again, in a team that doesn't create many shots. And he doesn't, he's not a high volume shooter. And then a Bamiyan comes in and then he gets injured. And you think that I, I thought that that was curtains for him at Arsenal. Um, I think I might have said on this podcast, I don't think he'll be here next year. So for him to come back and thrive on that partnership with the Bamiyan and, you know, to put in the performances he's putting in, 
you know, I wrote about this last week about the whole five captains thing and why really, well, going forward, none of them are captains. You know, Lacazette has pushed his way into that category with Aubameyang. Mm. Um, and, and the way he's reacted, I think, has been absolutely superb. And, and he's he's had a great season after, and he finished last season well. Actually, that, that Aubameyang signing could have killed him, but it made him a lot stronger, um, I think. And a lot of that is just down to him. And, um, yeah. Uh, you know, a really nice memory of the season actually against Burnley was he, you know, he didn't come on, but he was just warming up and everyone was just singing his name over and over again. And he just had this massive smile on his face. And, you know, I, I thought, yeah, you, you, I, I wasn't convinced that you felt like you belonged at Arsenal at first, but you do now. And that's credit to him because he's been at Leon his whole career, his hometown, you know, um, and he's come somewhere else. He's tried something else. And at the first sign of trouble, um, he worked harder and made it work. So, uh, yeah, Lacazette. And not that I always want to find a way back to praise Aubameyang, but, like, to be fair, I think he deserves praise for Lacazette's ability yep. to shine, too, because the fact is this guy comes in, you know, right after Lacazette's made his big move, his big career move, and here comes this guy who's arguably just a notch bigger than him in the game. And instead of coming in and sort of, prancing around the place like the superstar he becomes instant fast friends with this guy to the point where they're giving each other penalties okay maybe they almost take it too far to be fair but then like the other thing about it that's so impressive is like Lacazette gets center forward roles Aubameyang shunted out wide at times and you could see it periods early in the season when maybe it frustrated him when maybe he wasn't at, at his absolute best out there but like they just wanted each other to thrive and not in a way that was like pantomime, but in a way that seemed legitimate. Yep. And that friendship has meant that they can both do it and be successful. Whereas so many clubs that would have this situation, it'd be a mess. It would just yeah, yeah. be a mess. So yeah, I think that's right. Look, we have to go negative um, for hashtag brand. So who's your, I hate, to, I don't want to say worst player of the season. Well, you know what? It can be however you interpret it. The worst player or the player you're most disappointed in the performance they put forward. Um, Ozil. Um, yeah, I, I, so I, I kind of get it. So I don't think I, well, I suspect it's not entirely his fault. I think Emery and Ozil is just, um, is a bad cocktail, maybe of personalities, certainly of tactics. So I don't, I don't think this is entirely on Ozil, but a lot of it is, um, two assists this season. Um, and I think, I, I don't even think we're at that stage anymore. You know, when Ozil first arrived and you think, what did he do today? And you go back and look at the numbers and the highlights and you think, oh yeah, now it's a bit like, yeah, he was fine today, but you know, and uh, it's very like, very six out of 10. And, um, you know, I, I spoke about the, the captains in the group as it were, when the shells were flying in kind of April, um, Urza was nowhere to be seen. Mikatarian was nowhere to be seen as well. It's not just him. Um, I, I'm disappointed in Granit Xhaka as well because he's a player I, I've always felt that there's a lot of potential in, but I think I've given up on the idea that a tactical setup will stop his brain farts. But for me, Urzil is is just and you know again I'm I'm not suggesting that like he's staging some kind of protest or anything. It's just everyone has their time. Um, at a club or an organization or whatever everyone just comes to a stage where they need to do something different and Ozil and Arsenal need to move away from each other uh, unfortunately it doesn't look like Ozil wants to move away from Arsenal and you can get that because he's he's not yeah. going to get that salary Play, anywhere else 20 25 games in the league a season yeah you know, make a huge 
wage and you know that's about it yeah and and that's the thing you ca- you just can't talk about like i'm not saying that ozil's been calamitous he hasn't in any game in no game has he been calamitous why would you measure him by that standard though why would you exactly. expect a guy who makes 350 grand a week who's arguably one of the most skillful players in world football like like you know look just to relate it to another player messi if messi scored 25 goals in a season and had 10 assists you'd be like messi's done you know what i mean like you're rating him against what he could be not you know the average player yeah yeah exactly and and look he's so he's so technically gifted that he can kind of coast through a game and do a six out of ten because he's not going to give the ball away he's not going to kick it out of play he's not going to do anything that's notably stupid accidentally make a chance yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he's he's not he's he's not you know he's too good for that but yeah and and obviously you know there's the whole context of his salary which moors us really in terms of what we can do in the transfer market um and things like that so um yeah, that, that that to me is the disappointment, and particularly when Ramsey got injured, because Ramsey really picked picked up a baton, and when he got injured, you're really looking at Özil and saying, right, this is on you now. I don't I don't care whether you're that type of player or whether you're an introvert or whatever. That does not stop being you know being a bit of an introvert does not stop you from performing, and it hasn't before. Yeah. We've seen it. Um, where is it? And I just feel like he was he was one of those players who, when the bullets started flying, hid under the table. And um, yeah, I, I I hope that uh, we can end it. Um, your, with your absolute best players who make the absolute highest wage. When things go bad, there should be a game in that run where you say, "Wow, he caught the eye. He stood up. He grabbed us by the scruff of the neck, and he really helped us through that rough period." Aubameyang and Lacazette did it. They did it in the Europa League. And to yep. be fair, nobody did it in the Premier League, so it's not just Ozil. But you can't point to a point this season where you're like, Ozil stepped in, righted the ship, got the team going in the right direction. And then maybe that's too much to ask from any one player, but that's sort of what we've compensated him as. So I yeah. think that's totally yeah, yeah. fair. Um, okay, let's wrap up with this just real quick, 90 seconds or so. Your letter grade for the domestic season uh, overall and, and an assessment of Emery's first go-round uh, as head coach domestically. Obviously, we mm. we don't know where how it's going to finish. We hope with with a trophy and a very different outlook. But but for the domestic season, a letter grade and, and a and a sort of summary. Um, I'd have to give it like a C minus, uh, maybe into the D territory, just because we had the chance. Uh, we had the chance to finish in the top four, the top three, even, um, and we completely blew it. And you just you just can't ignore that. You can't. Um, ignore the position that we were in and, and and you know that we put ourselves in we had some big results like in February and March and uh, you know we beat Chelsea we beat United uh, we got like a draw away at Spurs that should have been a win like we put ourselves into that position and then you know teams around us started crumbling and uh, you know, there's no need to rehash what happened in April but um, yeah I, I, I feel so I listened back today to I know I've mentioned this before to an interview I did with the Arsenal women manager Joe Montemoro and he's he's a manager who also likes to change tack according to the opposition and some of the things he said really jumped out at me where he was talking about how for the first five or six months he kept everything the same because he wanted buy-in he said he wanted a core he wanted the team to believe in their style and then once he felt he had that, he started tweaking the formation because he said, "I know that I've got 60 to 70 percent of the game pl- of, the, of the game worked out because they believe in the style." And after that, we can throw different things in. And I was, I was thinking about that and just thinking, I, I don't think Emery's done that. Um, you know, it's it's 
it's worked quite well in the big games. I've enjoyed the tactical flexibility and things like that. But the, the tactical flexibility should be the cherry on the cake. It shouldn't be the entire cake. And I'm not I'm not sure that there's something here that these players really believe in. And I think most of our good feats have been kind of super powered by the two strikers um, and the defence for what it is has largely been kind of held together. You know, Len, have you seen Bern Leno's stats for this season on XG on goals conceded? Um, you know, we could we could have conceded even more goals than we did. Um, and, you know, kind of sellotaping Lauren Koscielny's Achilles back together so that we could have just a bad defence rather than a terrible defence. I, I just, I don't think I've seen enough. Uh, and I know he's he's got a really hard job. Um, and he's been given a really imbalanced aging squad, but I, I just don't feel like there's been an awful lot of progress. And I feel like last season, uh, Wenger's last season is almost a false equivalency because I think that was a big underperformance, um, largely driven by the fact that we gave up on the league season towards the end and also kind of special circumstances. I think the team performed well below their capabilities and actually, I use Wenger's penultimate season maybe as as more of a barometer for where we are, where we kind of narrowly fought for fourth until the final day, which is what we did this time, but in different circumstances. So I, I, I you know, I don't, I don't think he's done a terrible job, but I, ha- I just haven't seen enough progress. But I would argue this is probably going to be his first transfer window proper. Um, so that that will ultimately move me to a more concrete judgment, I think. Yeah, well said. And look, I, I will hold my tongue here because I've said more early on in the pod and, and I don't need to rehash it. But I think it, we wind up in a situation where I think everybody's kind of biting their tongue a little bit because if we win the Europa League, it'll be a wonderful achievement. It gets us in the Champions League and no one wants to look like a twat for saying Emery had a horrible season. He should go. I don't support him. And then he wins the Europa League and you're in the Champions League and you feel kind of silly because everybody's celebrating like crazy. But like, you can divorce the two things and have an opinion on the performance he's put in domestically. And it can be a reasoned, rational opinion that is totally separate from whether we win this competition. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with pointing to the statistics and pointing to what we did and how we finished down the, the you know, stretch run of the season and, and having some concerns. But let's just keep our fingers crossed that it ends well. Those of us who were critical can feel like twats because I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> that should do it. Let's wrap it up there. That sound good to you, Tim? Yep. All right, Tim's on Twitter. Still better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Yeah. Uh, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments if you haven't already. The best of the Emirates era is on Patreon. Go check it out. Mailbag episode on Patreon coming up shortly. So if you want to be able to get your questions in for that and listen to that, that's going to be coming up. If not, hey, no problem. We got more good stuff coming up for free pretty soon. Uh, plus, we got a game coming up. Imagine that. There's some actual football still to play. So we'll look forward to that. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Chelsea nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.